the best way I can explain it is like the Force in Star Wars. Oh my God. Like George Lucas got that shit right. Like he said there is an energy that, you know, connects every single thing that, Uh you know, um, living and non-living, things that were eons past and things are in the present. Um, Every single thing has this energy flowing through it. And you are part of that. And your detachment to your mind and body, everything is part of that. You know, the whole world is illusion, but it is also real. And it was, it's an impossible concept to understand. But for that split, split second, I understood a glimpse of it. And I, and I, you know, I caught a, I caught a, I caught an idea of that energy. And that completely turned my entire life upside down. My name is David Chen. Thanks for tuning in to another one of these fireside-esque chats where I talk one-on-one with fascinating people. I suppose that phrase is rather redundant, isn't it? Fascinating is, in my opinion, an inherent adjective to everyone. Today is obviously no different. Today's guest, despite his self-proclaimed introvertness, commands a presence in our first-year class. This presence was showcased when he was elected as a first-year representative for the undergraduate council. I am talking, of course, about Anand Rajan. He is considering human developmental and regenerative biology as a potential suitor for concentration. He is an avid meditator, a signed actor, and an absolute joy to talk to. So with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Anand Rajan. All right, and uh, and we're live here. So, oh man, I'm I'm really looking forward to this episode here. I have a I have a fascinating fascinating guest who, you know, I I've actually known for a long time, but he probably doesn't know me because of our group me chat. I mean, his presence on there is truly uh, gravitational. Um, but of course, hopefully, you guys know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Anand. Is it Rajan? It is. It is. Perfect. So, yeah, welcome to the show. I mean. This is this is I'm so excited for this episode. Appreciate you coming on. I'm excited too, David. I think before before we get before we get into anything, right? I think congratulations are in order because I am currently speaking to a representative of the undergraduate council here uh, of Elm Yard, right? Yes, that's right. All right, so yeah, I mean, w- tr- glory speech here. What's 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 your what's your feeling of it? I mean, <laughs> it, it was it was a rather short campaign for like traditional student body kind of perspectives. But yeah, how, how was that? So it was um, really, really much different than anything I'd ever um, run before. So I my first, you know, stint in student government was actually only last year. So senior year of high school, I ran for um, class pres. And that was like, it was not wise, you know, because um, I challenged the dude who'd been there for three years. And, uh, you know, it's already in, but I, um, you know, from that, I kind of learned how to do stuff. I made an entire campaign video based off of James Bond. Like it was a movie trailer of me as James Bond. Um, but like now, yeah, it was, um, actually pretty harrowing to find out. Cause you know, going into it, no expectations, nothing. I actually, had not heard of anyone from Elm Yard running. And then, you know, boom, you're into it. There's 20 people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
and um it was it was tough because all the people there were so insanely qualified for yeah. everything ever um like a couple of people like uh, Lilina she was an actual candidate uh delegate to the DNC this year and mm-hmm. you know after mm-hmm. that first meeting i was like how am i supposed to how is me who makes jokes on the group me um <laughs> i have worked in a hospital once and another lab that was you know it was like okay once how am i going to put up with you know these people who are speaking at the un or actual <laughs> delegates to the democratic convention um but yeah it was a it was a very very nice experience i would say overall yeah man i mean competition or not i wouldn't say competition i honestly i i'm sure you can agree with me here like certainly from the outside looking in harvard seems like a super competitive atmosphere that's just like to the point of toxicity but you know i think in it now i certainly feel like it's much more collaborative than anyone could have ever stereotyped it to be yeah i was i was really really very surprised when i came here because i was you know um i actually figured this out i think my dad and i got the vibe um we gave harvard a vibe check when we (laughs) came last july and uh, it definitely passed the vibe check because i i'd like distinctly remember um, the two words that made my da- dad actually like tear his hair out were holistic review, right? Oh. When we went to every single college in these here United States of 50 states, we're like, we have a holistic review process and we will put you through it. Um, and then we came to Harvard and the lady just like sat down on the edge of the stage with her legs dangling and she was like, blah, blah, blah. She clicked through the actual PowerPoint. She's like, you can find all this online. Let's talk about like how Harvard is different. We were like, we were sold at that point. And, and I, the culture that I found here has defied all stereotypes ever. Um, just the, you know, um, there's no sense of competition here. Everybody who was running was, you know, genuinely wishing for the goodwill of others. You know, when you ask for help, on a problem everybody is willing to give it to you regardless of you know where you are your level of personal interaction with them your um how much they would you know miss benefit from getting you a better grade maybe the curve goes down nobody actually cares about any of that stuff it's a super collaborative super warm environment yeah yeah. And, you know, it's, it's tough to like pinpoint where that comes from, right? Like what, what environments that Harvard created that, that makes it conducive. But I would say, though, um, from the classes that we take, like, for instance, we, we're both in LS1A, right? Mm. Um, and I, I feel like the difficulty of the class, or at least the workload of the class, unites people up on the front like the common enemy, right? So, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've had like study groups and we're all like, oh, my God, we all are scared and stressed and i think that somehow is the magic ingredient to form these actually collaborative environments the dreaded ls1a yeah i i know i definitely feel that i just finished the problem set that's due tomorrow um Mm -hmm. today and you know one question just had me overthinking for a solid three hours i kept like erasing and changing my answer and pulling it back like what if this happens and so um i think there's definitely a common enemy with <laughs> PSETs. And uh, um, it's nice, though, that people are willing to like hop on a Zoom call 
and yeah. be like, let's tackle this together. Uh, nobody knows what the hell is going on. So let's all not know what the hell is going on together. To- and we together. can find the head or tail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You bring up a funny thing, though. Like when it comes to like overthinking, I don't know. I don't know if you felt this as well, but like I think Harvard's reputation almost precedes itself when you do your work. Because like mm-hmm. that's like if it's an easy question, you're like, wait a second. It can't be that mm-hmm. easy, right? Like it's not that sure. This is Harvard we're talking about. So like sometimes reputation could even influence your your performance, which is ironic, I suppose. What I've what I've learned after coming to Harvard about the student body, you know, our our reputation is, you know, obviously intelligent. Um, right, right. But 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 we have a reputation of like being stuck up or like haughty or something. But there are two adjectives that I would prescribe to all Harvard students as a blanket statement. One is intelligent, and the right. other is we're just all dreadfully insecure about <laughs> everything all the time. The the, the the imposter syndrome is just off the charts for everybody. One person could be like. I'm sure if there was a Harvard student who was a delegate to like Bhutan, like the U.S. national delegate to Bhutan, they'd find a way to have imposter syndrome over here. We are all just going through it. As, as New York kids would say, we're all in the bag together. <laughs> and uh, yeah. um, I think that's what unites us is the common insecurity of overthinking. You know, like it can't be that easy, like you said. Uh-huh. Um, but sometimes it is and sometimes, you know, it wasn't that easy, and you overthought yourself into a hole. Dude, I have a I have a hilarious story about that. So, um, I'm taking this expository writing class, and I, I met up with this one one other classmate of mine, and we both decided to you know meet up together. Actually, mm-hmm. it was at Elliot. She she's in Elliot as well. Well, actually, it's um Ina. We we okay. mm-hmm. we, we yeah. talked yesterday. So, um yeah, so we both decided to you know work on the uh, reading together. Like you know while we read, we can discuss. So we were like, okay, let's read chapter one for now, right? And then after chapter one, we'll we'll regroup and talk about it. And as I'm reading chapter one, I'm like, wait, crap! Like, what if I'm like reading hella slow, and and like she finishes chapter one, and I have she has to wait on me. So like, when she when she says, all right, I'm done chapter one, and I'm like two pages, I still have two pages left. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, 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 I, I finished as well. Uh, all right, let's talk about it. Um, and then what's even funnier <laughs> was that talking to Ina a few days later, she told me that. She she said that she she was also scared that she was reading slowly and that I finished earlier. So she just basically said, "Oh, I I finished." Like she didn't finish yet, but she said, "Yeah, okay, I'm done reading. You want to talk about it?" To like, mm-hmm. so we were basically both thinking that the other person <laughs> was a super fast and this crazy fast reader, and then it ended up being like both of us overestimating ourselves. And I don't know. It's just like those funny interactions that. I mean, certainly the reputation of the student body deserves that level of mm-hmm. uh, of kind of perception, right? But I feel like that perception does get really, really hyperbolized. To, to swing back on the student body portion, though, without having much experience at all coming to the student body, what was like the motivation to run uh, for the UC? I think it was um, equal parts just to be a part of the change I wanted to see in the world. Mm. I wanted to come in. And um, so I am just a massive, massive introvert, which, you know, no way. anyone Are who, you serious? Yes. Um, absolutely massive, which I, you know, it's been a, it's been a fight to 
get rid of that kind of perception, okay. right? And um, I think I completely changed that um, coming into the group me and even in my senior year of high school, I just actively tried to, um, you know, go away from my introverted um, tendencies and to, you know, try to try to get a little more closeness, get a little more out there. And that mm-hmm. was, you know, part of my part of my part of my motivation to run was that um, I felt like I could do it, that I was finally at a point where I understood myself. I've interacted with others um, and the community enough to like, you know, know actually what was going on. And I had advanced in my networking skills enough to like be able to be the one who made a change. So like from puns to the UC, <laughs> I, I, I think was a, was a really, really big step, but I'm glad that I was able to make it, honestly. Yeah. First of all, I mean, without knowing you in high school, just knowing you from group me and from talking to you recently, nowhere in the, in the, in the wide, wide world where I've ever have considered you an introvert, which I guess just shows just how successful you were in changing that <laughs> perception. Cause that was, that's a damn good change. But, um, you know, it's kind of funny. Do you know the Senator, um, Al Franken? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I feel like your, your, your current career in the <laughs> UC is very similar with that. Right. Cause he was a comedian beforehand mm-hmm. and you know, um, I feel like I feel like having a sense of humor is super underrated in the in the world of politics. Would you say, mm-hmm. like, who, like, it's not like not professional to crack a joke. I mean, that's it's, no, it's perfectly not. fine. And mm-hmm. I think we need humor. Would you say we need humor in politics? I think um, we need humor pretty much, pretty much everywhere. I think. Um, oh, that's facts. In a um, definitely, I am a. So there's like two parts to me personally. I have right. a, um, on one side is the introverted, very, very serious guy that I, that shows up at about, you know, 2 AM every night or that, <laughs> you know, prefers to stay in or, so I'm a big meditator and that's oh. how I get in touch with my introverted side and become more self-aware. But on the other side of that is that I, you know, despite introversion, which, you know, um, has been misconstrued, you know, in the in the in the world as as you know being antisocial, um, which I think it's very important to change, and I and I and I I'm glad that it's actually changing now to come up and be like, uh, um, it's not antisocial, you because I really really enjoy people, I really enjoy friends, I just <laughs> yeah. need a little bit of time to myself, silent where nobody talks to me when I come home at the end, so I think. The, that part of humor is is underrated is that is that balance of both sides in that everything in the world is expected to be serious all the time everywhere at all the point you know it's our government you know we got to be strong but there's nothing wrong with a bit of levity where it is appropriate right like when we're doing funding for um building bridges or something. There's no reason why it should be, you know, three hour long speeches that are completely serious. And every senator in the room, except one is, you know, taking a midnight nap or eating apples with peanut butter. (laughs) Um, But if when it comes to things more serious that need to be 
controlled past that we need to talk about with a serious voice and we need to make serious change in um, like racial equality, gender mm-hmm. equality. Um, yeah. That's not the time to have humor, to make jokes. That's when you need to tap into the serious change making side. But, you know, otherwise it is very important to keep ourselves human because human yeah. beings like humor, living things like humor, you know, mm. um, so it's important not to quash that in the um, pursuit of professionality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's well-timed humor is such an amazing tool, right? Poorly timed humor is is you, you get canceled. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> um, but but yeah, I totally get that. And uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, in my math class, I I did an example of poorly timed humor. Uh, no, I guess not poorly timed, but just poorly placed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose my my professor doesn't really, you know, care to have too much humor going on in the chat. <laughs> I remember in I remember in LS one A uh, there were a couple. Of t- I I just remember this again. Like your puns are so memorable. I remember we were doing ice tables, uh-huh. right? And you're like, ice uh-huh. tables are dot 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 cool, right? Like yeah, that's that's well timed, <laughs> that's witty. You know, it it adds to the atmosphere. And I suppose I lacked that level of cognizance because I was in math class and our 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 professor was talking about like these these maneuvers of integrals that are illegal right which i've always found kind of funny to for mathematicians to like call illegal right mm-hmm. like it's it's not it's i guess <laughs> yeah mathematical laws but i don't know but i i typed in the chat like oh you, ha-ha, you, you integrated sideways go to jail <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly no that's what i said i was like oh no if you do it wrong integral police will arrest you haha <laughs> and then and then he, he paused like for a solid second looking at the lecture chat it's like uh so does anyone have any questions and like oh my god oh i I dropped the bag on that one so so yeah i mean there are certainly examples of well timed well placed and just good execution of humor and there's certainly the opposite spectrum but no i mean that's that's great that that you say that you know you have that introvert side and extrovert side and i agree it it is rather misconstrued because like i I don't do you know the singer joji Mm mm-hmm I feel like so like his his song like slow dancing in the dark mm-hmm. I feel like is a perfect yeah. the, the perfect false conception of an introvert where like they just go home the the lights are dark blue and they're they're taking a long long draw of a cigarette um which is not true right it's it's not no. true um but I'm curious for you like meditation I I've, I've always been fascinated with it and I'm like that kind of person who like wants to try it but never had the the, emo- the emotional stability to do so um how how is that like and how long have you been doing it and just what is it honestly so how long i've been supposed to be doing it is since i was seven years old and how long i've actually been doing it is about two years mm. um <laughs> so starting out my dad was a is 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 a big he's alive i don't know why i said was i'm sorry he's in atlanta right now he's probably eating snacks and watching indian television Um, but he he's a big meditator and um when i was seven he took me to a camp in savannah georgia for meditation Mm -hmm. just a weekend camp where i would learn you know he would be able to meditate with other people and i would learn how to meditate and um it's a very very simple process all you have to do is sit down. Uh, don't tell you how to sit down. You can, whatever position you want, just sit down on the floor and focus on your breathing the entire time and just your breathing. And it is 
it's the process of, I didn't understand this until later, because when I was seven years old, you know, it's something that my dad told me to do. And, right, you know, right. once we got back on the way back from Savannah, Georgia, we got Burger King and I was happy. Right. <laughs> that was, that was what was in it for me. The mac and cheese there sucked. You know, it was like yogic food. Um, but, um, and then, and then junior year. So I went through all of life, you know, no, Damn. not really taking it seriously. Um, just, just when I, when I would sit down for meditation, all I could think of was like, I have better things to do. And, um, like, uh, I would count in my head up to 1800 if it was a, you know, a 30 minute meditation, or uh, um, and get done with it. But, but junior year got very, very stressful. And I went through personally, a lot of emotional and intellectual things. And, um, so I actually started, actually started meditating for real. I said, let me give a try to this, you know, can't hurt to sit down and actually right. try it and see if it works. And um, what I found was a life changing experience. I think it's the quality of, because it's not just paying attention to your breathing because you can't control you're breathing either. So effectively, you have to keep an eye on everything and become become an observer in your own body. Completely detach yourself from everything you can and know you will control and just don't control it, but still be present. And the one time I was able to truly, truly do that um, was in October of junior year. So this is about um, two months after I started meditating for real. And um, there was just one moment one night where I, I I don't know what happened. I dissolved into the universe. It was, Oh my God. It was, it was a transformative experience where I, you know, um, I could feel, and this sounds really, really cheesy because um, um, how, the best way I can explain it is like the force in Star Wars. Oh my God. Like George Lucas got that shit right. Like he said, yeah. there is an energy that, you know, connects every single thing that, uh -huh. you know, um, living and non-living um, things that were eons past and things are in the present. Um, every single thing has this energy flowing through it. And you are part of that. And your detachment to your mind and body, everything is part of that. You know, the whole world is illusion, but it is also real. And it was, it's an impossible concept to understand. But for that split, split second, I understood a glimpse of it. And I, and I, you know, I caught a, I caught a, I caught an idea of that energy. And that completely turned my entire life upside down. And that's when I started to, because it's one of those things that you just don't forget. Like, yeah. you know, walking in on your, there, there's like experiences in life that you don't forget. Like, uh -huh. um, you know, uh, first kiss, walking in on your parents, recreating how they made you. Um, <laughs> uh, things like that, you know, yeah, this mem was, memorable moment. This was one of those things. And I, I still remember, you know, seeing that energy, feeling that feeling for a, for a, for a split second of time, one time was in Florence. I was at the top of a hill on Florence and I was looking out on the city and I felt it. 
Another time was on the top of the Smoky Mountains, and I saw the actual Milky Way for the first time, and I felt it. And this is actually what I wrote my college essay on, was this transformative experience. And um, so, yeah, this is the point where I got into meditation, and I still do it every day for 30 minutes, um, just because it really helps my focus. It helps me get in touch with myself and... I think it has made me just a better person. Okay, I need a minute to to absorb that right there because holy crap, the way you described that feeling of I mean, honestly, I feel like that's what humans desire in this life. It's not money, it's not wealth, it's that m- brief singularity where you understand the universe. <laughs> it was for me, I think the best way to describe it was euphoria yeah it was it was that it was like that feeling of let's say in like ls1a let's take ls1a (laughs) and one concept that you just do not do not understand but after five hours of studying you give up right and in the morning you wake up and you're like oh yeah right that but like a thousand times more a thousand yeah. And it's it's that moment that like you truly understand something. Mm-hmm. And um so yeah, I I understand why some people go off and live in the forest and deal with mosquito yeah. bites all day. Yeah, if they can experience that every day, I mean that's like drugs without down. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just straight up. Um but I mean, you know, I, I must say I've I've tried, I suppose, meditation. Certainly not to the success that you have, otherwise I'd be in a million times better uh better mindset but um it's difficult like when you say that you have to like be present yet at the same time feel like you don't need to control anything it, it feels like balancing a marble on a basketball definitely right because like one time like even acknowledging that you're mm-hmm. acknowledging you're, that you're thinking about it it's also acknowledging yeah. that you're thinking about thinking about it and you and, just have to yeah. stop all of that Right. I mean, like, how did do you, do you like what strategies like strategize with me? How 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 are you supposed to handle that? In every meditation session, for every thirty minutes, there will only be thirty seconds where you've truly meditated. Oh, yo, you're right. Yeah, because yeah. the first five minutes will be you getting into it. The last uh-huh. five minutes will be you getting out of it, and and the rest of the time will you be you? It's it's just going to be you thinking about it or thinking about thinking about it, or thinking about how you should be thinking about it, but you're not thinking about it, yeah. or just not thinking about it at all, and thinking about um, your MCB ADP set that you absolutely forgot to do and is due in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. At that point, you end the session and get up and go watch the lecture. But yeah, so in every 30-minute meditation session, there's only 30 seconds where you can be an observer in your own body. So it takes, you know, um, I am by no means even like a beginner in this thing like it there's a reason why all those old bald indian people that i always hear about in stories growing up take 40 years right to just meditate and do stuff because i guess that's the time it takes here to achieve that level of being able to get there at will it's kind of like uh um so the base the base function of it is like in avatar guru patik he was he was one of those <laughs> the old indian dude he like unlocking the chakras and all that that whole lsd trip of an episode yeah so that's basically <laughs> what the goal is here mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I suppose that's like that's desirable because you have like a lifelong sort of process now, right? It's it's grit and grind. You can't rush it. There's no way to rush it, right? It it is going to be a lifelong kind of thing that I can only imagine like the upper echelons of meditators that can like sustain those 30 second long things like days even. Like mm-hmm. imagine imagine the level of pure just just awareness and cognizance that you get like, yeah my dad told me these nine. stories right um and i thought i thought it was cap i thought it was capping <laughs> when i was like nine and he was like you know the ancient yogis used to be able uh... to channel that energy in the universe and they could actually use the force to like move objects or something or they could you know survive off of the energy of the universe for months at a time and so nine-year-old me was like that's cap my science teacher told me that you can't go without food for four <laughs> days um but like now now i'm like all right so maybe maybe they were right and all the old bald dudes were actually pretty smart old bald dudes mm-hmm. yeah i mean you know it, it reminds me of the thing that i used to do where i would whenever i'm walking to anywhere i would have earbuds in mm-hmm. and listen to music right and sure i was like okay sure i'd be jamming to kesha's tiktok or whatever and then um you know i i talked with someone who who was into this thing called deep listening mm-hmm. where basically you try to acknowledge so like you're you're in like a busy street right and you try to acknowledge and focus on every single small noise actively right like to try to like splinter your focus to like every single fragment of of your surrounding noise uh i'm i'm explaining it as if i know it but i don't I've, i have yet to achieve <laughs> such level of of insight but um, yeah, I mean, like walking through Harvard as well, uh, you know, I, I took some time last week to, to kind of walk because I haven't been to the quad, mm-hmm. right? I haven't been to the law school or Radcliffe Yard. Um, so, yeah, I decided to walk through and without headphones and I'm used to listening mm-hmm. to something, right? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of like pick up on things that you never really get to pick up, right? You know, the small jingle of a, of a, of a bike as it goes mm-hmm. around and, and the birds, different pitches of birds, Um and I suppose the reason why I brought this up is because like for meditation, right? Or just people in general, especially in college, I can imagine, right? There's a lot of distractions, mm-hmm. a huge number of distractions, um, academically, extracurricularly, just in general, personal lives. And, you know, obviously that takes up a lot of mental bandwidth. And yeah, like you're right. I think meditation might be that home away from home where you can recollect yourself and, and gain mm-hmm. back gain back majority stakehold of <laughs> of your of your senses you know i mean have you felt overwhelmed at all like on campus i'm sure i'm sure there have been moments but i have yeah i have definitely um i think yesterday and last sunday was like the first day that i actually you know worked all day mm. for the thing and uh, um i think just to you know go back a little bit to that meditation point and your experience with deep listening i think hearing nothing and hearing everything are the same thing oh my god yo you that's that's facts um um so i think that you know when you can turn distractions into observations into reflections of your own self i didn't actually mean to get this deep at like 7:45 like i haven't even eaten dinner yet like, i'm <laughs> yeah, expecting an amazon shipment downstairs of like <laughs> rice right cuz you know indian diet um <laughs> talk about distractions yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean I, I guess i guess to undeepen ourselves here i'm sure there's a correlation to why i mean first of all your experiences with meditation but also like you said where we were talking earlier your interest in uh of neurobiology mm-hmm. and eventually surgery 
in 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 urology so i mean i'm just curious because obviously because you said you worked in the research and you worked in labs and all that but has has the meditation part actually also played into a little bit of why you wanted to follow neurobiology a little bit i think um i think so i think mm-hmm. yes i i found um you know the same feeling in meditation that i found when you know looking at certain neurosurgery compounds and actually this is um you know also going to to sound deep fake there's one episode <laughs> of Grey's Anatomy, which I, you know, got into. The medicine is crap, but the drama is, <laughs> the drama is supreme. It is, yeah. I cannot make it up, but there's one episode of Grey's Anatomy. And if you've watched Grey's Anatomy, yes, um, I have. Uh, um, it's the one where Derek writes on the wall, where he draws oh, this final thing on the wall. Yes. That one episode had the energy, it like understood for me why i wanted to go into neurosurgery like i watched that entire episode like that that is it that is why i'm doing this so i think it's the meditative aspect of you know definitely being a doctor surgery is all is um meditation and i think oh yeah um i gained a little bit of a big world perspective so my eventual goal like a lot of doctors before me and a lot of doctors, well, maybe not, hopefully not after me, but realistically (laughs) after me is to just cure all of cancer, just to get rid of it gone. Right. Um, And I think going down that path is definitely a meditative experience for me. It, um, I saw that, you know, that energy. And so when I worked in a hospital, I worked in Wellstar Kennestone hospital down in Georgia and I worked in the oncology wing and you know you could see the two different types of of people there you know there'd be you know this old man who's who's you know 95 years old he's got um stomach cancer and you know he is he can't breathe he's on oxygen but you can you can see he's still making jokes for you like the nurse has to translate it for you but he's still making jokes to you he asks you to move a mountain because it's blocking his view of the sun these days, but in the next, in the next room over, there's a there's a 32 year old with inoperable brain cancer, and he's about to be shifted to palliative care. And you know, you can see that the hope has gone out of his eyes. And um, that is the two sides of the universe. The thing that you know, meditation leads towards that understanding that both of those are different, but at some point in meditation in old bald man land, they are the same thing. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I relate to that 32 year old, right? I'm sure there's, <laughs> I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a good reason why there's no hope. And I suppose it's also, this isn't necessarily about meditation anymore, but you know, for that 95 year old, and I suppose this relates to like my purpose in life as well, but for that 95 year old, year old, you know, realistically speaking, he's lived for a majority part of his life. Mm, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's done what he needs to do. I can't speak for him, of course, but I'm, inference right 95 Mm -hmm. i'm Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's 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 a pretty good chunk of his his uh his life but um you know for that 32 year old it's it's all the could haves the would haves Mm -hmm. right and those those eat you up right i mean it's not even like past regrets it's like future regrets yeah yeah future regrets suck i mean Mm -hmm. i i don't really i suppose okay no yo we do have future regrets Mm -hmm. because both you and i and every first year here at harvard are living under quarantine circumstances Mm -hmm. exactly yeah and and there's certainly a lot of future regrets that we have i mean it is completely realistic to say that 
if we were to have four years of quote-unquote normal Harvard time, and you were to have that person compared to the same person who had that first year in quarantine, those two people would be different. Completely different. Com- yeah. Completely different, right? Like, I'm, I'm joining a few clubs that I don't think I would have mm-hmm. if I weren't in quarantine, mm-hmm. right? I have made friends that I would not have if it weren't for quarantine. Oh, yeah. Because if exactly. I had, you know, if we had gone to, um, like, Visitas, and, you know, uh, the people we were housed with, um, yeah. the people that we, like, interacted with during Visitas, those, those would maybe be our friend circles when we came in. But instead, you know, it was, I made my friends with the loudest people in the group me. And that's where we are right now because I was the loudest person, still am to some extent, the loudest whore in the group, me. So, yeah, no, I mean, that's, I suppose, I, uh, and of course, thinking about future regrets, whatever that, whatever that even means for mm-hmm. our education is, is entirely futile and counterproductive. But again, it's that, it's that idea of the could haves, right? That you'll never be able to realize. Um, and I suppose as well, like for that 32-year-old, right, the loss of potential mm-hmm. is is where I am curious in. Because uh, for me, medicine is certainly an attractive field. Um, uh, so my fire alarm is going off. Unfortunately, we had to prematurely end the episode right there. You heard that correctly. There was a fire alarm that went off in the dorms. Thankfully, everyone got out safe, safe evacuation. Uh, it was a small fire to begin with, so that's great to hear. But that was the end to another one of our one-on-one conversations with people here at Harvard. Again, first years so far only, but regardless, even with our limited experience, we had plenty of insights, plenty of stories that hopefully you guys found helpful, uh, if not entertaining. (laughs) So thank you again for tuning in. We'll hopefully see you guys in the next episode.